This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 338 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about the UEFA Champions League draw, Dortmund's 3-2 loss in the Super Cup, the first Bundesliga defeat of the season and we will preview Saturday's game in Freiburg, oh no, against Freiburg, I think it's a home match and in the background you already hear my dog uh, practicing on a squeaker toy, uh, but... For all that and more, joins me once again, Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, I don't know. Is your dog killing Dortmund's title chances <laughs> in the background? Yeah, maybe maybe that's sort of a metaphor. I, I don't know, but it, it, it'll step shortly. I'm I'm convinced. Uh, also here, Lars Parman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? I'm currently annoyed my dog doesn't like squeaky toys, but I'm fine. Thanks. <laughs> Why does your dog not like squeaky toys? It's not really a dog. I mean, it, it, in its passport, it would say dog, but it's more of a, a human-cat hybrid, I think, with like some very little dog traits. So, hmm. no, no barking, no squeaky toys, no, no liking getting pet. So, it's not really a dog. So, but if you open the door, she walks outside and then inside again, and then outside and inside again, or unlike you stefan i don't have a luxurious uh house to my name i don't <laughs> I, I live in the uh, on the third floor so if she walks out that would be the balcony and that's really small well we have another hint dropped of where last perman lives so uh for everyone keeping track over the 300 episodes soon you will know exactly where his location is but anyway <laughs> um Let's talk about travel destinations, haha. Uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, drew Zenit St. Petersburg, uh, Lazio and Club Bruges in uh, the Champions League draw. Uh, Lars, your initial reaction to that uh, group F? F's in chat uh, for the three other teams because Dortmund should cleanly sweep through that group. I think this was pretty much one of the two or three best case scenarios i would say with all due respect yada 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 but i mean zenit were arguably alongside porto the easiest draw from pot one there were a couple of sides from pot three even two from italy that i would like to avoid in inter and atalanta both of that happened and in you know pot four i think all the teams in there didn't really look too daunting for a club of dortmund size so for once this should be relatively smooth sailing on paper now obviously we don't we know games aren't played on paper but uh, if i were to to pinpoint it now i would say like 13 points and first position should pretty much be the aim so you know a, def a defeat here one one defeat one draw i think that looks about right and you know just from two other aspects i think travel wise it's okay uh st petersburg is obviously quite far away but uh there were worse draws even then you know in ukraine uh rome and bruges pretty close by uh i think rome is the only 
non-risk area in terms of COVID right now for you know the German authorities, but I think pretty much everywhere or every group would have would have been a problem in that regard, and I'm sure UEFA have some sort of solution for that. And uh, one last thing, I think this would have been a really great group for traveling away fans because they've not been to St. Petersburg in a while. They've never been to Rome with Dortmund, if I'm not mistaken, or at least not in the last few years. And Bruges is obviously also a very nice city. So three great trips, which unfortunately aren't going to happen. Yeah, I can uh, only recommend Bruges. I was there once and I absolutely loved it. And uh, obviously, if, if you can make it, just watch in Bruges. It's a great movie. Uh, Matthias, do you have anything to add? Well, I mean, initially you look at this and you would think of the three other teams, Lazio would probably be the most difficult one. But I yesterday had the privilege of watching them getting destroyed by Atalanta. Uh, and I completely concur with Las in the sense of um, Lazio or Inter or Atalanta. I'll take Lazio. Thank you very much. All right, fair enough. Um, then I guess it's time already to move on uh, to let's start with the Super Cup and then... Uh, Handled the Bundesliga later, uh, Borussia Dortmund with a 3-2 defeat. Uh, uh, late goal by Joshua Kimmich yet again to decide the tie. Um, I gotta say, it was kind of um, interesting to see Dortmund give up easy goals and then somehow make their way back into the game. And uh, I thought they actually had a couple of good chances to win it. And I thought overall... if. If you just go by chances, they, they probably had uh, the multitude of, of better scoring opportunities. So in, in that regards, maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity not to uh, lift the trophy in the end. Uh, but Matthias, uh, other than what I just said, what uh, did you make of, of this game and, and the lineup? Well, I mean, I thought it, when, when you looked at the initial lineup, especially when you look at the double pivot, it was kind of clear that Favre is treating this as a friendly Uh, with more important matches coming up and especially following. I think if if Dortmund would have beaten Augsburg, uh, maybe it would have been a stronger initial lineup uh, and less experimentation also later with subs. But he just clearly just didn't care about this match. And the, I mean, taking Holland off when he did signified everything you need to know about Favre thinking this not important. I know ESPN FC had a field day uh, in in their football daily or whatever it is, uh, tearing into Favre about taking Holland off. But, you know, you also can't forget those are English pundits that think something like a community shield is actually really important. I personally just don't care about this game. Never have. Wouldn't miss it if it went away. It's whatever. Um, and given... The, the lack of depth Dortmund has at striker, which again became painfully obvious in this match, taking Holland off at that point uh, after he'd really worked hard and a lot, uh, I think was the right choice. I agree with you that uh, when Dortmund gave up two, I would say, naive goals, uh, I was like, oh, good God, you know, this is going to be, they're just going to get rolled over at this point, but they really found their nerve. Uh, unfortunately, Thomas Meunier lost his nerve in a critical moment. Uh, and Manuel Neuer showed once again why he is still the best German keeper out there. And maybe with Allison in the shout for best one or two keepers in the world again. 
Um, but I, I thought it was a good sign from Dortmund. But you also saw Flick then rotating, you know, bringing in some youngsters and stuff like that. It was kind of at one point they're like, ah, let's just we got bigger and better things to deal with, especially both teams coming off of um, unpredictable losses in the Bundesliga uh, needing to kind of, you know, solidify things. I mean, I know now people are saying Bayern won five titles. Uh, or trophies or whatever you want to say this this year and they could win six if the club world cup takes place but you know it's just not a high importance match but it was nice to see that Dortmund showed some character in a in a situation where in past they could have fallen apart pretty easily oh and one one side note Manuel Akanji has done really well so far this season so moving on all right Lars what are your takeaways from this game if any Yeah, if I had any, I think Matthias pretty much covered them. I think this is, uh, both teams treated the game as it is, which is a glorified preseason friendly that this season wasn't played preseason because, you know, Bayern had other commitments. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure why this game had to take place, but also I am sure because there's like TV rights and contracts and whatever, but... I always think if if a if a team wins the German double, there kind of is no point to uh, the Super Cup. I mean, Dortmund weren't even in the Cup final this season; they just came in second in the league. I don't know how how that makes them contenders for the Super Cup, which was intended to be the game between the cup holders and the league champions. But I mean, obviously, this is modern football, and more big games with big teams means more money, so that's why they play it. But I'm kind of glad that. Both teams uh, treated like I would treat it, as I said, like a preseason game, testing ground for a couple of players. I think all the decisions Favre made in terms of personnel made sense, including taking off Holland. Uh, I mean, he worked so hard, as Matthias pointed out. He was sprinting a lot. He's the only actual striker in the squad, although. Uh, you know, Reynier and, and Hazard can play the position and I think against most opposition they can do a relatively decent job going forward but you still want to conserve Haaland as, as much as possible and and I think we've heard like Zorc and Kehl and, and maybe even Favre uh, in the past talk about how they sometimes need to rein in Holland because he's so young and exuberant and wants to win so much that he kind of doesn't take care of his body enough and he's only 20 years old he's not had a lot of experience at the highest level so you, you really want to conserve his his strength for you know what is going to be a pretty grueling season after this next international break I mean the Champions League group stage takes place over two months There's basically a midweek fixture every every week for Dortmund until they drop out of a cup competition. So there's no winter break this season. Uh, so I mean, I'm I'm very much okay with basically throwing the Super Cup if you like, uh, if it helps keeping important players healthy for the rest of the season. And also, I mean, uh, Renier probably is right now Haaland's backup, and if you can't put him on 20 minutes in a relatively or totally unimportant game then you know you have bigger issues than far for taking off Holland or subbing out the win or whatever uh pundits and fans alike might have been saying about him yeah uh, i i 100% agree as, as much 
uh, as a win might have been enjoyable, I think you need to really look at the bigger picture. Um, but it was interesting to see that I think Haaland has uh, made a little bit of progress uh, in his older play. I thought it was pretty positive and uh, really had Dortmund to create some uh, possession moments, which is important against Bayern and... Uh, you know, allows you to lose the ball then higher up the field and then uh, also regain possession higher up the field, if you will. And uh, I think most of Dortmund's uh, chances really were created of uh, a turnover in, in Bayern's half or uh, around the the, the um, middle circles. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall that was very positive, especially that Dortmund pressed Bayern a little bit here and there because we know that this team uh, under Lucien Favre is not the high octane uh, Folgas Fußball or whatever pressing team that uh, it, it used to be. So um, you know, making things a little uncomfortable here for Bayern uh, is is not too bad. It's especially um, that you want to tire out players uh, like say Joshua Kimmich and and such uh, in 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 the long term. So um, yeah, uh, there, there were a couple positives. Mo- Positive moments, obviously, Thomas Meunier needs to uh, somehow prevent that counterattack a little better. And uh, yeah, Felix Paslak, obviously, a bit unfortunate there against Thomas Müller for the for the 2-0. But uh, yeah, I, whatever. I mean, the, the Thomas Delaney giveaway really was uh, was was kind of silly, but these things sort of happen. And uh, especially after the game has lost all its rhythm after like five substitutions were made. And whatnot. So yeah, uh, un- unfortunate, but uh, there we are. I mean, even Nico Schulz got a run out, which uh, wasn't too shabby either. Um, but yeah, you can also see that this team did not really uh, click and gel, and there were not much automatism. Once Holland went off, and you had Reina and Renier and uh, Bellingham on the field, it was all sort of bit messy, and Dortmund's uh, ball retention sort of dropped. And with that, uh, the chances to to win this game were basically zero. So um, yeah, maybe maybe in in penalties, maybe not make this mistake and and hold on to the two two draw. But uh, it's all water under the bridge now. So I I guess it's time to move on and talk about the game that really counts, Matthias. Uh, that was the two 0 loss against Augsburg, and I would say a, a pretty painful one because it sort of feels unnecessary. And uh, you know, if before the season everyone talks about uh, things Dortmund need to do better, they they pretty much look at the Augsburg away game as like the typical uh, game where you do not want to drop points and uh, you know this is sort of the uh, Pflichtsieg uh, as as we call it in German where you want to gain all three points but obviously uh, that did not occur uh, I think expected goals wise uh, Augsburg had 1.0 and Dortmund 1.7 uh, according to FB ref or Statsbomb so um, yeah but in in the end, it was a two nothing. So, uh, what are your thoughts on, on on that game? It had to be Daniel Caligiuri, right? Yeah. I mean, can, can we just agree? It. I think. I mean, I called that he would be involved. Uh, you know, when when the free kick and and happened, I'm like, okay, that's the one I spotted them. Uh, that's that's kind of what I expected to happen with him in there. And oh my God, Schalke could use him right now. Well, let's just put it put that there. But. You know, what frustrated me about this match is almost like they didn't watch the previous week against Union. Now, obviously, Augsburg played a little bit different against Dortmund than Union Berlin, but not significantly different in the sense that against Union Berlin, they also ceded possession to Union Berlin. The difference is Union Berlin really didn't know what to do about it and defended 
really, really poorly, um, but created more chances by also stretching the field because that's what Union does. Union doesn't know how to play intricate passes centrally. That's not their game. They stretch the field. They put in crosses and created chances against Augsburg. Dortmund somehow completely refused to adjust their game plan in any way. And, and the frustrating thing was over and over and over again to see these attacks kind of run into the middle without any possibility of stretching or trying to stretch uh, Augsburg in any shape or form. And you're just not going to get through a block of 10 players. Because at one point, I mean, Stephen Chirundolo said, why doesn't Dortmund just go to a back four? Because they're not really defending against a striker. At most, one. Uh, that changed in the second half. Uh, Augsburg played a little bit more aggressively with two strikers, a little bit higher up the pitch. But in the first half, absolutely, he was absolutely right. I mean, you could have just released Emre Can to move further forward to create some more havoc and stretch the field a little bit and allow your central players to go wider because there's another body centrally to, to create that or create underlaps and overlaps. But somehow there was just no interest in doing that. And that was, for me... The the frustrating thing to watch is that there just didn't seem to be a plan B in any shape or form. And that was that was really, really frustrating. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, Dortmund in this game, I think, had 25 crosses <laughs> and uh, they weren't all that successful, to be honest. I think Meunier alone had eight crosses and... Uh, um, I think that the the key number though isn't may, maybe the cross number isn't indicated, but I think the key number is uh, is twenty two switches of play. I think the Dortmund could have done much better and should have done much better because um, um, be- before we talk about Dortmund sort of clogging up the middle and then Augsburg doing the same and then not finding a way through and uh, it's it's just that they need to move the ball much faster and I think that's uh, something that. Uh, sort of probably comes by itself automatically with time as they gain more match rhythm uh and 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 stuff like that but uh for for the time being uh yeah that that was kind of re- frustrating to to see players always step on the ball and, and really take the pace out of the game and uh, not switching it uh from from left to right often enough i i thought that was a was a mistake. Obviously, a switch of play isn't always that easy to achieve, but I, I still think that uh, you need to move Augsburg much faster to to open up some gaps because the way uh, Dortmund played, it was just way too slow and it wasn't like Augsburg was completely, uh, you know, 100% solid. There were gaps here and there where Dortmund could have played and I think there was a chance very early in the, in the beginning where Dortmund had a 1-2 and uh, almost took advantage of it, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Obviously, the finishing on Dortmund's side wasn't ideal either, but yeah, I I think I just think you need to play much much quicker. Um, plus, is there anything you want to criticize specifically that Dortmund definitely need to do better? Maybe also structurally. Um, I'm not sure about you know structure and even tactics and all that. I think this was more of a relatively simple case of Dortmund being really good I think for like 25 minutes or so and then taking almost the time to get some sort of breather I thought uh, letting Augsburg in a little bit and then honestly I think the, this is one of those weird games where one incident or situation kind of changed the whole uh, perspective of the game if you like and that's 
die the, the foul of um, Michael Gregoric on I don't even remember who it was from Dortmund. There was one incident when when suddenly the the few thousand fans that were there in in Augsburg Stadium were came alive. You know after Dortmund had kind of lulled them in to a sort of slumber and and. Dortmund reacted kind of poorly, I thought, uh, to that situation. And then there were like four or five minutes with a lot of fouls, a lot of aggression on the pitch. You know, the, the situation where Haaland was very lightly slapped across the face by Jeffrey, whatever his name is. Gouveleu, Haulau, whatever, doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, and, and, and suddenly Augsburg were in the game and then obviously Emre Can gave away that stupid free kick uh, needlessly. I mean, you don't have to uh, have your elbow in your opponent's face in that situation. I think that was easily avoidable in, in, in some regards. And I mean, obviously you can always concede from an in-swinging cross. You know, that's part of the game. That's how... Uh, relatively poor sides such as Augsburg, uh, you know how they survive in the Bundesliga for ten seasons. Um, <laughs> obviously, I would I would argue, uh, or, or you can argue that Roman Burki needs to claim that. I mean, we can have a discussion about that. Uh, I can also understand why he didn't come out because you know that's that's a collision waiting to happen, and it's Augsburg away first half. You know, do you really need to risk your bones? I'm not sure. Uh, but certainly the game completely changed in those few instances and Dortmund weren't able to recover. Uh, also because I thought Augsburg were really good in the second half uh, and generally deserved the win, basically. I mean, you mentioned uh, expected goals numbers. This is one of those games where that can be a bit deceiving because Dortmund really didn't have that too many you know, opportunities where you would say, man, he should have scored that. It was more of, you know... Decent half chances that accumulated because they had obviously so much of the ball. I think in the second half it was like eighty six percent. I think they said on on German TV. So I didn't really feel at any point or during the game that that's something that we've kind of had a, a number of times over the last few months and years, especially away to teams that Dortmund should, you know, theoretically beat handily. Uh, I didn't feel at any point really that. A comeback was going was coming and, and was close. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't. At, at no point was I thinking, you know, one goal and it's completely on for Dortmund. That that just didn't happen, and that's, I guess, credit to Augsburg's defending, but also speaks some volumes of you know Dortmund's inability to sometimes turn it up uh, uh, those important notches in these kind of games and and. If we want to make more sweeping judgments, it's kind of, you know, a bit of a characterization of Dortmund's almost staleness in like their general development as a team. Uh, I mean, I don't want to go too deep with this, but like this is kind of what we come to expect from Dortmund. And, you know, there's very little to suggest to me that this won't happen again, you know, in I don't know when they play Bielefeld away from home. But, you know, that's the kind of game where that can happen again, I feel, because that's just how Dortmund operate and who they are at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, let's talk briefly about Roman Berkey because I think he could have come off his line in, in, uh, for both goals. I, I thought uh, when Caligiuri scored, um, he was uh, nowhere near closing down that angle and I thought he needed to be off the line quicker, especially since it was a counterattack. 
Um, that felt kind of weird, but uh, for that set piece, I also think he he could have should have come off. Uh, Matthias, your final judgment on on that uh, Burki situation or decision making? Yeah, I think he he could have been a little bit more aggressive um, in those situations, uh, but at the same time, that's not necessarily his game. When he does become more aggressive, it tends to not end well. But I guess in these situations, it didn't end well regardless. So, hey, what does that matter? Um, to me, the bigger issue isn't necessarily Bukey, is that those situations even arose in the first place. Um, that's, that's to me, uh, the bigger problem. Like last said, you know, Emre Can, that foul was pointless at that position in the field. Augsburg's not going to do anything. And uh, the counterattack was also a little bit naive to, to have that situation arise granted Dortmund's pushing forward it's more likely to happen but uh you you can't really let that happen so then you put your keeper in that type of position where uh even though I'm a, a fan of Bukey and I I do defend him um he no he's not he's not Manuel Neuer <laughs> let's put it that way I know big news flash there um but uh it, you know, I and I saw it on Twitter. People were blaming Buki for those goals, and it's like, nah, that's that's a little too too simple scapegoatish for me. But he could have done better, no doubt. But again, everybody in the team could have done better on that day, yeah, uh, on the pitch and on the bench. I mean, I'll I'll be honest. For me, one of the big takeaways was this was the kind of match where you definitely saw uh, Gio Reyna and Jude Bellingham their age, um, that that they're kids and they played like kids. Uh, it was it was a match where I would have preferred to see Brandt and Royce come on for those two players in a significantly earlier time frame, maybe at the half. Uh, but uh, Favre seems very enamored with Gio Reyna, even when Gio Reyna is not playing well. And uh, in matches like against Gladbach, which is more a type of match that plays into Favre's strengths, and makes players like Bellingham and Reyna shine, that's great. But in a match like this, the more experienced player, I believe, is your better option. Yeah, maybe. Um, Lars, do I remember correctly that both Jaden Sancho and Gio Reyna ended the game on uh, as, as, as wingbacks? Kind of, but, you know... Uh that wasn't really representative of anything other than Favre trying to throw men forward. Uh, I, I definitely agree on Reyna with uh, Matthias. He didn't have a great evening and or afternoon, I should say. And also, yeah, can, we, can we talk about the diving? Just want to quick, quick, quickly, quickly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna go to. I mean, people on Twitter didn't really like me pointing out that Gio Reyna at this point is a bit of a diver. I mean, I. Uh, already wouldn't have given the penalty against Gladbach because of his trying to win it so hard. I mean, obviously there was contact and I guess by letter of the law you can do it, but I mean, that didn't sit right with me uh, and, and certainly I think he should have been carded for the one against Augsburg. Even though, again, there was very minor contact, but, you know, in a completely different you know part of the pitch almost. I mean, he already had thrown himself to the ground, so... Uh, I, I think he really needs to be careful not to become the boy who cried wolf. Uh, I mean, obviously, now that there's VAR, hooray, uh, that, you know, you you won't get, you know, uh, 
referees just not giving you penalties because they don't like you because obviously everybody can check it again and refs will be held accountable almost but uh you know there's also faults outside of the penalty area and there's decisions to be made on you know bookings versus no bookings or bookings versus red cards and i i can guarantee you that referees talk about this stuff and and watch this stuff and right now or maybe not 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 just yet but if he continues on his path there's certainly going to be a couple of moments here and there where Reina's reputation uh comes into his detriment so it's something that i would like to see addressed by coaching staff or you know senior management or even other players because you know that's not something that i think anyone wants Dortmund to stand for and he's also too talented to resort to these tactics uh on the regular i mean pretty much every attacking player has probably dived in his in his day and and i remember marco royce definitely had some tendencies uh, to that extent in his early days at Gladbach and also at Dortmund and he's reined in and I'm I'm sure and, and I hope that Reiner is also gonna tone it down a bit yeah can he rein it in uh, anyway um, Matthias that was obviously an unnecessary loss I would say um, kind of kind of annoying um, is it positive though that Bayern Munich got uh, smashed for the one the next day or does it make the the drop points for Dortmund even more uh, aggravating no I mean I, I see people saying that well because Bayern lost that makes Dortmund's loss worse no <laughs> I mean it that's that's a little that that's like BVB Twitter fatalism at its worst that I've really bemoaned for the last two years. Uh, why sometimes after matches, I just, I just can't, I can't deal with that fandom on Twitter. because I just think it's toxic and pointless. Uh, it, you know, it, I kind of, I told my wife is like just that moment, you know, it's almost that scene from the Godfather where he's like, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. So it's like, every time you think you're out of the title race, Bayern are now pulling you back in through that. But again, it's so early in the season. Uh, people that went out say, like, oh, congratulations, Bayern, on the title win. You know, they made, Bayern made them, and Hoffenheim made them look really stupid the next day. Um, and, uh, I, hey, did you know that the Hoffenheim coach used to coach Bayern's reserves? I don't know if anybody ever mentioned that. Um, but it, you know, it is what it is. It's early in the season. I didn't expect Bayern to lose and I sure didn't expect them to lose quite like that. But, you know, uh, the, the one thing I can't remember who spoke of it, if it was during broadcast, um, I think it was during the super cup broadcast where it was brought up that given the nature of Hansi Flick's tactics, that, tiredness will come into play and the amount of matches that Bayern have to play every season and their players have to play this kind of you know these results will occasionally pop up this season uh, but they won't be that often it would be nice if it would pop up when Dortmund play against Bayern that would that would be the best scenario Yeah, I think Bayern are a bit more vulnerable this season than than usually. Uh, the the only problem for Dortmund is that they probably will also take the ill at Hoffenheim away. So um, yeah, can't really count your chickens there. But um, yeah, I mean Dortmund will probably have similar issues regarding tiredness, um, but uh, not as bad as Bayern will. So uh, that's for sure. Um, Lars, uh, 
should we move on to the Freiburg game, uh, which is on Saturday? And uh, Freiburg have done not too shabbily so far. Um, so what what can Dortmund expect for this game? And do you, do you think that will look a bit different than the Augsburg game? I mean, this is kind of, you know, Freiburg, I think, have won once uh, at Dortmund in their entire history. And that was in October of 2001. Sebastian Kehl was playing, but for Freiburg and scored. So, you know, I think we probably mention that every time Dortmund play against Freiburg because it's such a remarkable set in a way that their one win uh, is is older than a few of our listeners, I'm sure. So... This fixture hasn't been kind on Freiburg for obvious uh, reasons in, in that regard. But I think Freiburg are definitely a side to be reckoned with this season. Uh, I think they actually improved uh, on the transfer market, even though they lost um, three regular starters in goalkeeper Alexander Schwolo, defender Robin Koch. His name is not Koch. <laughs> uh, for our English commentators and listeners, uh, he plays it's, for it's Leeds. It's very now. hard for uh, English speakers to make the. No, sound. it's not because they 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 know of loch uh, of lochs in in Scotland. So if you can say that, and other than that, just say coch or cock or whatever, but don't say cock. Um, <laughs> and they also lost uh, Luca Waldschmidt to Benfica, but I think they've done really well in replacing those guys. Uh, one of the tactics darlings if you like uh baptiste santa maria uh, just a great name also in in central midfield had a decent debut for them against wolfsburg on sunday i believe and and just generally speaking i think freiburg is one of those sides that you can always watch as a neutral and be decently entertained uh, if, if a freiburg game is on and you don't have skin in the game you can just enjoy Usually the the performances, at least of Christian Streichsmann, uh, obviously he's one of the greatest characters in the Bundesliga and, and, and the uh, longest serving head coach in the Bundesliga. So I think there's there's always something uh, when, when Freiburg are involved, but also Dortmund usually have uh, the better end on their side. And there's really no excuse for them not winning such a game at home, especially after already having dropped points against Augsburg. So... While I'm talking up Freiburg, everything other than a home win for Dortmund would be a bit of a sensation almost. Yeah, I know, especially uh, since uh, you know Dortmund had the midweek game uh, to to gel, to to test, to improve, uh, which I think at this stage of the season can actually be a little bit more helpful. I don't think uh, the players are too tired yet, so um, I'll I'll take that Super Cup maybe as a plus for the short term, short term at least. Um, yeah, Freiburg are in fifth place right now, and I think their top scorer is Niels Pedersen again with uh, two goals to his name. Um, they just had a 1-1 draw against Wolfsburg, I think, where they uh, conceded pretty late in the game. Um, Matthias, uh, do, what changes do you expect uh, from the Super Cup lineup or do, or from the Augsburg lineup, respectively? Uh, do, you, do you think that uh, Favre will mix it up a little and uh, change uh, from from the team that started against Gladbach and pretty much against Augsburg. Well, um, I I personally would. I mean, I don't expect Tahut Delaney to be the central pivot. 
Um, start there. Um, I would like to see Royce and Brandt in the starting lineup because I think they did it very well against Bayern. Um, and uh, this is also one of those matches where I think uh, experience uh, supersedes youthful exuberance, um, especially because, you know, Freiburg with Christian Streich, as Lars pointed out, great character, great coach. Uh, Freiburg in general have had two of the most notable Bundesliga coaches in Christian Streich and Volker Finke over the last 25 years. And um, Streich somehow always gets a team of quote-unquote nobodies to be somebody and play really, really well. Um, and I think they will play well against Dortmund and create chances, but ultimately they always tend to somehow uh, cock it up. Uh, <laughs> Um, to, to say, I mean, we got to add the E right now to the podcast anyway, because last said cock about 20 times, um, referring to Robin Koch. So, and I agree with him. You can say the, but I, I, I expect that to be a major lineup change. I would hope to see it. And obviously, you know, Axel Witzel will be back in. And other than that, I don't, I mean, Guerrero will probably play at the left wing back position, uh, with Paslak sitting on the bench. Um, that, that would kind of be my assumption for this match. Lars, what are your thoughts? Maybe Paslak on for Meunier was something out of the ordinary, maybe? Um, I'm not necessarily expecting it also because after the game, you have the international break. So, you know, you don't really need to take into account another fixture uh, next week. Um, so mild rotation, mostly rotation back or whatever, however one would describe that. So I agree with Guerrero coming back in, presumably Witzel, even though I kind of would like to see Delaney start over him at this point. Despite Delaney's mistake against Bayern, I think he added more than Witzel has done over the last few games. Uh, and, and I'm kind of expecting Piszczek to start just so he can get some minutes again. Uh, obviously, he doesn't uh, play for Poland anymore, so would be nice to get him another run out. So I could see him play uh, for Emre Can in defense. Can really hasn't impressed me much over the last few games. Uh, don't think Piszczek against uh, Freiburg would play right wing back, but, you know, stranger things have happened. I think Meunier, having come back from an injury in preseason, has played a lot over the last few uh, games, so might make sense to put Piszczek there. But also Paslak kind of deserves to keep uh, playing, other than, you know, his uh, height difference against Thomas Müller. Uh, I don't know that even with perfect timing he could have done anything about that second goal for Bayern. Um, yeah, so mild rotation, don't expect anything crazy, would definitely like to see Reus, but, you know, caution is always best with him, and uh, since Favre can still make five changes this season, you know, makes sense to bring Reus along quite slowly, especially in these uh, weeks with multiple fixtures, and also Reus is probably going to feature for Germany a bit. So he gets more minutes there. Don't have to, uh, you know, rush him back for a Freiburg game just to get his legs running. So uh, don't expect anything crazy. I think if the game 
permits it, I think Favre would probably like to give Renier another decent run out just because he needs the minutes. You can definitely see that he has some catching up to do, especially also in terms of tactics. So that's always best to do in, in a game state. But uh, even though Freiburg usually are what we say, uh, what we call Punktelieferant in German, so they always deliver the points for Dortmund in Dortmund, I think it's unlikely that this is going to be a game that's completely out of hand for Freiburg with like 40 minutes to play. So I don't know how how much uh, experimentation Fafel will be able to get to. Yeah, obviously you can never rule out that Dortmund absolutely should like Freiburg in like the first 50, 60 minutes or so. But uh, I, I would agree with that assessment. I, I feel like it's going to be a very close game that Dortmund may decide very late. So, um, you know, we can actually just jump to prediction and I think Dortmund might... Uh, uh, win this one three to one. Uh, Matthias, what's your prediction? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Stefan. Three to one. Lars. Yeah, we're three people with one opinion because I'm also gonna say three one. All right, so uh, that almost wraps it up. However. I don't know if it's appropriate to uh, dole out schadenfreude when uh, you yourself come off to else. However, uh, I think we need to talk about it a little bit, just briefly. Uh, Lars, what are your thoughts on Manuel Baum, who has replaced Dave Wagner, now that Schalke have uh, two losses against Bayern and Bremen? Uh, what was the final score, I think, 4-1 or so against Bremen? So they're dead last right now, but uh, still... Uh, I don't know if, it, if I expected them to, to fire their coach right away. So uh, what do you make of that replacement and the assistant coach uh, of Naldo? Well, first of all, I'm I'm still kind of flabbergasted that they went into the season with Wagner because everybody and their mothers were able to see that that was not going to work out. I mean... Uh, I think you didn't get much money for betting on Wagner as the first uh, fired head coach, but I certainly did uh, in terms of, you know, kick tip and whatever. So prediction games, I don't condone sports betting. Uh, anyway, uh, Manuel Baum, yeah, seems about right that they don't attract a bigger name than that. Uh, for for a brief second on Sunday when Ralf Rangnick <laughs> in, in German TV basically threw himself at Schalke, I thought, hmm, maybe... Maybe they, they do pull this off because obviously Rangnick is, is arguably one of the two or three most influential head coaches in recent Bundesliga history. So getting him at Schalke would have been a tremendous coup in, in one sense, but also quite difficult uh, in terms of you know the politics because I don't think he would have worked under Jochen Schneider as the head of sporting whatever at Schalke and, and Michael Reschke as the, the, the squad planner. So... A big name was always going to be difficult to uh, attract for Schalke, also given like the dire straits their squad are in. So yeah, Baum definitely a good t tactician. Uh, I don't know if he can get his points across. I think that was kind of the issue at Augsburg, but still he kept them up just as well as Markus Weinziel and. Uh, looking back at it, I think Weinziel didn't do as badly at Schalke as it seemed at the time because he obviously only lasted one season and I think they finished like sixth or seventh, uh, what they would give to finish sixth or seventh now. Um, yeah, and, and, and the, the Naldo thing that just uh, seems 
kind of like a populist move. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any coaching badges that I'm aware of, and and I'm I'm always a bit annoyed when former players get like a break in in that regard, and and people who really work hard at at the craft of coaching don't get that kind of chance. But obviously, he's a big name. Uh, Schalke fans really like him. He has all the experience at the top club that Baum doesn't have, so it, it might might make some sense in that regard. And also, I mean, are we ruling out that Naldo is going to suit up for the Dortmund game and and score a header? I, I I'm not. <laughs> yeah, don't jinx anything. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a odd one, uh, but but it's also not new for Manuel Baum because. Uh, If I remember correctly, his assistant coach at Augsburg was Jens Lehmann at one point. So, um, yeah, an interesting one. Uh, Matthias, your final thoughts before we get out of here? Well, I mean, you remember last week you talked about, you know, Mark Wilmots or somebody like that being such a Schalke hire. Well, Naldo is the Schalke hire in that sense, where I saw that and I kind of laughed. I'm like, oh, it's it's Schalke. Rangnick I never really took seriously. Uh, I mean, it would have been his third time at the club. Um, Manuel Baum, uh, I agree, is actually a very intelligent, highly qualified coach understands tactics um i actually have a few of his books and dvds on coaching uh so uh he 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 knows what he's talking about i was a little i laughed a little bit when i saw you know schalke twitter freak out uh and and say oh manuel baum why didn't we get someone with a uh, higher reputation it's like you do realize where you sit right now in the world right like manuel baum is probably the best you can get, and he may be even selling himself short since he picked them to finish 15th uh, on Sky at the beginning of the season. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in his defense, he, he picked Schalke finishing 15th with David Wagner at the helm. So, uh, well, I'm sure if, if he would have known, well, it's my Schalke, we'll finish 13th. Yeah, exactly. Uh, see, uh, there you go. That's the spirit. Anyway, uh, I think that uh, wraps things up for now. Uh, it wasn't the best week, so I really hope before the international break, Dortmund can finish on the positive. So uh, the uh, ensuing two weeks will be lived uh, on, on, on better vibes. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lars... <laughs> Uh, be before I completely botched things here, uh, how can people uh, follow you on Twitter? They can't at the moment because I've gone private. Well, that's too bad. Anyway, then I guess we'll move on and leave uh, Lars being in in the, the in this privacy. Uh, Matthias? So how do you go private on Twitter? I need to find that out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Well, I know how to go private on Twitter, but I won't tell Matthias. And you can follow me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter and uh, all of us sort of uh, at Yellow Airport on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the show, please check out our YouTube channel or iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you want to read our written content, then go to theyellowwall.net, become a patron for $1 a month or sponsor an episode for $10 a shout and get a shout out for the episode and uh, yeah that's pretty much it so uh, yeah really hoping and keeping my fingers crossed that uh, the next game will be a little bit more successful and we will be back next week with the analysis of the Freiburg game and until then uh, goodbye and good luck